0: So the staff of God, we're looking at the staff of God together, and I wanted you to look this morning, remembering that we had the exodus, the exodus from Egypt parallels the exodus from the world at the end. You need to make that connection in your mind to understand that, how that works together, so that the exodus from Egypt foretells how about the exodus from the end of the world That is important as we look at these together. So we had left, um, I'm a little loud, I don't know, am I a little loud to you? I feel a ring coming in my um, little bit. So uh, we left Moses, poor Moses at the burning bush, and as you recall, he was there and he was um, there talking with God, and so would you open your Bible to please chapter 4, we're going to continue on, he is now leaving the burning bush. He's gone, he's finished his conversation with God, so in Exodus 4, if you will pick that up this morning as we look together. And I'm going to ask us to begin, if you would, with verse 18, beginning with verse 18 of chapter 4 of Exodus. And then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt and see if any of them are still alive, going back to the Jewish nation. Now, it's interesting that he would ask his father-in-law permission to go, isn't it? He asked him for permission. And so Jethro said to him, God and I wish you well. So make your journey, get your permission. And verse 19, now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. For all those who wanted to kill you are now dead. That was over. So Moses took his wife, Zipporah and the sons, and put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God in his hand. The staff of God was a symbol. If you recall, he, he was uh, there in there. desert. He threw it down, and it turned into a serpent. Remember that? And he had to pick it up by the tail, that viperous serpent. As God showed him, this was an A symbol that was a symbol of the great action and the power of God and so as we look this morning as we go and forward it we talk about this this great staff of God that was used as a symbol of the power and the action of God and therefore we will also see it's associated with a mighty hand in scripture the staff of God is similar same kind of message to that with the staff of God the mighty hand of God reaching out. Verse 27, drop down to verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and he kissed him. And then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say. And also about all the signs that he had commanded him to perform. If you remember last week, if you were last week, we talked about the importance of the relationship between God to Moses, Moses to Aaron, and Aaron to the Pharaoh and to the people. If you're not familiar with that, please go back on our website. You can see that information in last week's sermon. So upon arriving, upon arriving at Egypt, verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together the elders or the leaders of the Israelites, the overseers as they were, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. He did the hand, he did the snake, the staff down. And Aaron told them everything that the Lord, see that relationship? Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to them. He also performed the signs before the people. The signs. Signs were important to show the people because they did not have a Bible. They did not have a history to look back on. They could not really see because they'd been born into slavery. So they had nothing to look back and be able to say, ah, oh, we can see how the hand of God has been working. So it was important that he had signs in order to show that God was with them. Signs. Now, if you recall in the New Testament, they asked Jesus, please show us a sign. that you're." But they had a long history. And they looked at all the signs that Jesus did, and they discounted them, remember? Look at that. Verse 31, so, and they believed, the people, the, the elders, they believed, and when they heard that the Lord had con- was concerned about them, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped them, because they recognized that God had heard about their slavery, and what had happened to them and taking place. Okay, so this morning, we want to look at that it's now a time. It is a time for Moses and Aaron to go in and speak to Pharaoh, to go in and talk to him. So go into chapter 5. You go down into the very next chapter. In chapter 5, verse first, and afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go, so they may hold a festival." to me in the wilderness now as you read that it says to that let my people go that they may hold a festival for me that later it says the 3-day journey into the wilderness and we could naturally ask well didn't god want to get all of his people out of egypt didn't he want to do that Well, in reading about this and looking into the background of what this was all about, it is fascinating to look at why they were asking to go just into the wilderness to have this festival. Why would they do that? Why would they go? Why Why would he ask this? Well, the reason, and I was reading in this, and the request put before Pharaoh was a reasonable one. In other words, we're going to come back. It was a reasonable one. The Israelites could not offer their sacrificial animals in the presence of the Egyptians without provoking religious animosity, since among the animals to be slaughtered were some that the Egyptians considered sacred, and therefore not to be killed under any circumstances. So in order to avoid the danger, the feast of the Israelites must go beyond the borders of Egypt into the wilderness. And I said, oh, that makes sense now. Of why they would say, well, let us go into the... Because we could not offer the sacrifices right there in Goshen. We could not do that. Because they would then have such a religious war. It was kind of like throwing in their faces, we're burning your gods. We're uh, we're slaughtering your gods. So Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, I found that really fascinating, that Pharaoh would make that kind of a statement. Found that interesting, and he said, well, I do not know your God. And the word, if you look closely in there, if we talked about last week, he used the word Yahweh. I do not know your Yahweh. I do not know that God. So I have no reason. I know the God of the Nile. I know the God of the sun. I know the God of the, 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 God, the gods we have. But I don't know Yahweh. I don't know your God, and I don't see any reason why I should obey Him. And therefore, you cannot go into the desert. Which raised in my mind the question, of, well, what about those who do not know God? In our, in our modern, what about those who do not know God? Now, I know we often ask people as, we, as Christians, As followers of God, we often say to people, now, do you know the Lord? Do you know? It's important to know the Lord. Now, I remember when I was in academy, our Bible teacher, who was a wonderful, wonderful man, an ex-Marine. He uh, had been a U.S. Marine, had been an excellent, uh, was an excellent Bible teacher, committed to Christ, and he would ask us, "Well, what's important for you to know the Lord? And do you know the Lord, Bill? He'd ask me every once in a while. I had no idea what he meant. I had no idea what he meant when he said, Do you know the Lord? Well, I know. I know about the Lord. I know, I know about it. There's an incredible difference between knowing the Lord and knowing about the Lord, is there not? There is a difference in, a, in, in that thinking about that, about how, what that really lines up to. Do, do I know the Lord? Or do I know about the Lord? Well, Pharaoh was saying, I don't know about any one of them. So even in modern day, in our modern day, he says, well, even if I know about some of the facts of him, he said, who is the Lord that I should follow him? That's the challenge to us in sharing about knowing the Lord is who is the Lord and why should I follow him? Why should I go behind him and, and follow them? Which leads to the question, well, who is Jesus, and the importance of us sharing with others who Jesus really is. If there is one topic that we need to cover with anybody, it is who Jesus is. And why should I follow him? Verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God so that he may not so that he or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword so we need to go or bad things could happen to us now I want, if you're not in your Bible please you, you want to pick up a Bible and look at this if you have one please look at this we're in we're looking in chapter 4 and I, and I want you to look at this closely. This, this is so significant that because it portrays what's going to happen in the next few chapters. It is so significant. And so here's Pharaoh. They've asked him to let us go a three days journey. And Pharaoh changes the subject. Watch this verse 4. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Give back to your work. And he went on and said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. You are stopping them from their work. Now, What does he mean when he's saying, stopping them? You are stopping them from their work. Well, if you have the King James Version, if you have that particular one, you'll say, ye make them rest from their burdens. Do you have that in the King James? You make them rest for their burdens. The actual word in the Hebrew for that very word is Shabbat. You make them Sabbath from their burdens. That's really what he's used. That's what the Hebrew says. "You are making them Shabbat. You are making them keep the Sabbath day. That's really what is happening. We don't get that, unfortunately, in the English. We just we kind of just fly over it and it says, "Well, you make them. Uh, stopping their labor, or, you, or you, you make them rest from their labor, King James Version. But the, but the real word in there is you make them Shabbath, you make them Sabbath from it. Now why is that significant? They have not left Egypt, they have not received the Ten Commandments yet. They have not had the feast, they have not gone through the Red Sea, they have not gone to the mountain. patriarchs of the says in their bondage the Israelites had to had to some extent lost the knowledge of God's law but God's law had not been given yet doesn't that make you think they had lost the knowledge of God's law and they had departed from its precepts the sabbath has been generally disregarded, and the extractions of their taskmasters made its observance apparently impossible. But Moses had shown his people that obedience to God was the first condition of deliverance, and the efforts made to restore the observance of Sabbath had come to the notice of their oppressors. Notice that, the first condition of their deliverance. Now remember, we are looking at the exodus as an example, as a a precursor of the end of the world. The exodus from this world. Because there are the plagues, there's the turmoil, there's all the stuff going on. And isn't it fascinating that, that before Moses led Israel out of Egypt, before they took them He was teaching them the importance of the Sabbath. And she mentions the first condition on deliverance was obedience. The first condition on deliverance was obedience. Not that they would earn their rescue, but it was a sign of their loyalty. It was a sign that, yes, I am with you, I will follow you. You are my God. We don't keep the Sabbath in order to please God that somehow at the end of the world he's going to take us home. But it's our sign that we recognize him. He's our Lord and we are going to follow him. So here, in this very early example, we see an amazing thing where Pharaoh accuses, uses Aaron of Shabbathing. Sabbath observance sign of their obedience. And that same day, verse 6, that same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and to the overseers in charge of the people. And he said, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather it on their own straw, but require require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Do not reduce the quota. They are lazy, he said. They are lazy people. Well, things got, have gotten a lot worse for the Israelites. Instead of having the straw brought to them to make their bricks and to do their quota, now they have to go and gather because they were Shabbathing, keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath observance had become a test. You see. A test. A serious test. Some of you have faced that test yourself. You know what that's about. And they got beaten for it. And they suffered greatly. The Bible records that. And so the Hebrew elders, the leaders, the people, they came back to Moses and they complained and they said, "Look at, look what's happened. You've come down to rescue us. You've got Pharaoh all stirred up. You've been teaching us the Sabbath, you know all these things of importance, and now life is so much worse." And Moses recognized that. Moses recognized that, and so he says in in verse twenty two. The Lord, uh, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? (laughs) It's your problem. You have brought trouble on this people. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on these people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Remember the promise that you made to me at the burning bush. We did all your signs, we did all your things, we followed you along, we did what we obeyed you, we showed up here, we followed what we were supposed to do, I was following your instructions, and it has made life miserable. Chapter 6. And then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. He will. Because of my mighty hand, staff of God, the actions of God. You see, Moses and the elders and Aaron were faced with the issue, are we going to believe God will do this? seemed impossible to them. How in the world is Pharaoh going to drive us out? It just, it just couldn't happen, you see. It just couldn't happen. In the, that Pharaoh would drive them out. Letting them, let, letting them go, but that he would drive them out. And the Lord already promised, and you will plunder them because they will give you the stuff to get you out. They will give you gold and silver and things to get you out of there. My friend, that that points to something incredibly important to us. Because in this world, it looks impossible. so we're saddled with the issue about believing God's promises and as looking and looking at the promises of God to be able to say I saw how he delivered Israel and he's promised in the same way same pattern he will come and deliver us but all the information and all the signs as this world gets worse and worse and worse And the ignoring of the Sabbath and the obedience of following God runs rampant. And just like in the olden days, the people today are even making up their own gods. Did you hear the news? Farrakhan said he was Jesus. Did you hear that? Farrakhan. I'm I'm Jesus. Jesus of old did not die on the cross. He did not uh, get buried. He did not get resurrected. That's all hocus pocus. Just all a bunch of stuff. I am Jesus. Is not this world getting worse? Now, young people, it may not seem that way. But for us old folks, I see there's maybe, oh, maybe all of you are younger than I am. But for all us old folks looking back, we kind of yeah. I I see a direct difference than what it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. It is far different. I remember my dad used to tell me about that, say, oh, yeah, the world's getting worse and worse and worse. And I, and I would listen to that and I'd say, oh, the world's getting worse and worse. But it didn't seem to me when I was a young person, just seemed things are always the same. But they are not anymore. Not anymore. If you're a young person, you need to listen to your elders. Because <laughs> we've been there before. We've seen it. Seen the transition. We see things happening in our world where things, things are, are going out of control. So we look forward to this amazing, amazing coming of Christ when we will exit this sinful world. The Exodus. And as we look at that ahead in the next week, as we look at the plagues as they poured out on Egypt, we recognize that there will be plagues at the end of the world that will prepare for Christ to come. Now I want to put a little tag on the end of this. John, Marianne. I understand you're going to the Middle East. Diane, going to the Middle East, yes. I'm going to show you this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your what? Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. What is that descriptive of? We say this is the psalm, this is the Lord's, the shepherd part, the the 23rd psalm. And it's saying, I fear no evil. The reason I don't fear any evil is because you are with me, because you have your rod and your staff. They comfort me. The staff of God. And what do we mean by that? Not that he just is carrying a stick. But because God can cover me, Because he is the one who can protect us through the valley. He is the one who can take care of us. And therefore, because I know of the actions of God, I can see the great comfort God can give to me, even though this world is in terrible turmoil. There's a war on Christianity, do you know that? It's a war on Christianity. We need to pray for the staff of God, do we not? God, please step in and rescue, help them, help us. The staff of God, the mighty hand and actions. Dear Lord, I thank you for this metaphor, this picture. This—it's just a piece of wood. But in your hand, it symbolizes the great actions that you will take. Not only in the desert, not only before Pharaoh, not only in the promised land, but in our world as you lead us to the world to come. I thank you for this great lesson to us out of the book of Exodus in the very beginning of Scripture. For it portrays to us the great truth, as we who await your return are comforted by the actions that you take. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.